we're back. So welcome to this latest edition of Think Agility, the podcast from Agilisys. This is episode two of our second series. I'm Dan Campbell, and I will be guiding us through the conversation today, which is really one of the hot topics of the moment. So uh, a little more about that in just a second. As ever, Think Agility is aiming to bring together intelligence, insight and innovation relating to the highway sector. Now, given our heritage, you will still get the inevitable focus on safety, but we're always trying to look at that wider array of connected themes such as sustainable and active mobility, traffic technology, air quality, and public health. And I think you're going to find that today's episode really does sort of bridge across some of those areas. Well, if there's a subject that's igniting interest in the transport sector right now and stoking debate, it's the 20 mile an hour issue perhaps even more than ULES, autonomous driving or or fuel pricing. Uh, For anyone who's unaware, we are recording this about six weeks after the Welsh Government decided to implement 20 mile an hour limits in urban areas. Put simply, if it was a restricted road with streetlights before and had a, uh, a limit of 30, it will now be 20 unless there was an exemption applied. So we've got two guests with us today who I think will tackle the topic quite differently and might even challenge one another's opinion. So let's wait and see on that. But whilst their interest and approach to 20 will no doubt be from divergent perspectives, I suspect we'll end up with some really interesting convergence about why this issue is important and what the experience in Wales can tell us about wider implications. And If you've already rolled your eyes and thought this is going to be a conversation where we'll just be rolling out the 20 mile an hour propaganda, don't worry, I am going to direct our discussion to engage with some of the challenges that 20 is facing. So I'm delighted to say that I am joined by Professor Charles Musselwhite from Aberystwyth University and Richard Owen, who is CEO here at Agilisys. For anyone who doesn't know either of them, I've known Charles for a number of years. He's co-director of two funded research centres, the Centre for Ageing and Dementia Research and the Transport and Health Integrated Research Network, as well as the Centre for Transport and Mobility at Aberystwyth. So he brings this fascinating blend of skills and insights to applied research in that interface between the built environment, transportation and health. Richard, meanwhile, spent over 20 years working on speed management issues, firstly in leading one of the UK's largest safety camera programmes before going on to lead larger research into the efficacy of speed enforcement and on advising on speed management strategies, both home and abroad. So thank you very much for joining me, both of you. Um, Let's jump in then. Charles, I guess I ought to come to you first because you actually live in Wales and so you've got lived experience of this. Tell us how things are changing and what it's been like to live through the first few weeks. Yeah. Hi. Nice. Nice to be with you. Nice to be here. Um, I mean, I, I actually think it, it has made uh, a very pleasant difference. We, uh, you know, we live on a road that's that's fairly busy as it is. It's quite a wide road. It's only got narrow pavements. Uh, cars were definitely traveling way above 30 miles an hour. And you still get that now. But every now and then there's a there's a definite change in in slower slower vehicles coming along along the road and that that's enough to make a, a really pleasant difference for us all i think especially as as residents you know it, it's it's definitely quieter um you do feel a bit safer walking and letting your kids out the door 
as a result of it. Um, it's just a slightly more pleasant environment. You don't feel quite so intruded by the speeds. But um, yeah, it hasn't got rid of all the speeding vehicles, uh, but it, it definitely feels a little better. That's uh, really encouraging to hear. Um, Richard, when turn to you, I mean, 20 mile an hour limits aren't exactly a new phenomenon. I mean, we've been implementing them around the country for a long time, but it does feel like things are accelerating. What's the recent history of 20 and how rapidly are things changing? Yeah, and you say we've been dealing with 20s for a long time. Yeah, 1990 was the first time they were created. So I think it was in Sheffield, the first one. Um, but they didn't they didn't really take off until um, at least the last 20 years. Um, but it has been interesting to see the rapid change. I mean, uh, you and I both remember when Oxfordshire went to citywide 20. It wasn't quite citywide 20. And that was over a decade ago now. Um, I think the thing that's changed has been possibly, you know, the the influence of um, 20s Plenty, um, a lot of local campaigning groups there. And that's coming off the back of communities saying that they want to see 20 miles per hour. So people wanting slower speeds where they live. Um, so I think it, it's interesting that it's not necessarily something that's come as a result of government direction, but it's something that's been definitely community focused, as, as well as um, influence of uh, politicians. So you see the huge expanse that's happened in London um, over the last few years. That's definitely been set by the agenda of the mayor, as well as, um, you know, the people running the individual London boroughs. Um, and if I just stick with you for a second, Rich, I mean, like the international literature has been increasingly moving this way as well. It's not just a UK phenomenon, but global policy statements like the UN General Assembly Declaration on Road Safety has encouraged 30 kilometres an hour, 20 miles an hour, particularly where you've got densities of vulnerable road users. From a kind of safety perspective, why does it make the difference? Why is it that the international community is encouraging people to point in this direction? Yeah, I think it's because we haven't evolved as a species. You know, um, we're not getting better at getting hit by cars and natural selection is not going to help this. You know, we are con we are always going to be vulnerable to being hit by boxes of metal carrying an enormous amount of energy. So that's why we need those lower speeds. I mean, even even being hit at 30 kilometers an hour, I mean, I, or 20 miles an hour, I don't want to be hit at those kind of speeds. I want to be hit at lower speeds and that. So you're, you're also hoping that the vehicle is going to stop or break or, or something like that before it hits you. But it's it's just about our vulnerability and we're never going to be escape. We're never going to escape from that. We're not going to be walking around with airbags fitted like you get in cars or other restraint systems. Um, uh, you know, we're just stuck with our level of human vulnerability, which means that we need to control the other part of the safe system, which is the vehicle. So we need to make sure that they're traveling at those lower speeds. I mean, of course, we could completely segregate all vehicles from all cars, but the, uh, from all uh, pedestrians and cyclists. But that means you end up with underpasses and pedestrian barriers and things like that. We've decided we don't want our cities to be like that. We want them to be open equitable for all road users and that means you know sharing the responsibility so drivers are going to have to go a little bit slower wherever there are those vulnerable road users moving around the network 
And and that leads on, I think, quite nicely, Charles, to a question I was going to ask you, which is not just about the sort of safety implications of 20, but about some of those wider determinants of health. I mean, why why is 20 important in terms of that broader public health perspective and what benefits do we think it might realistically bring? Yes, I mean, 20 is often couched around you know, reducing collisions and and uh, therefore reducing injuries and deaths on the road. And of course, that's that's really important, um, as as Rich says, and and really, really the the fundamental reason why we have twenty mile an hour. But it's also got all these other benefits for for health and well being as well. Particularly, um, uh, there's you know, it's really hard to find research that well, it's really hard to do research that can actually prove these kind of things. Um, and every location is very different to another. Um, but there's very little research that, that goes against the fact that that uh, slower speeds do increase the amount of walking, the amount of cycling, um, you know, and and also in terms of potentially reducing things like air pollution and noise pollution as well. Um, there's a little bit of evidence um, that's that's on the positive side of that. So I remember some really good stuff at Bristol City Council when they introduced 20 mile an hour. Uh, zones in 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 some of their streets that increase walking and cycling in those areas by about 10 11 percent um and reduced lots of the the sort of negative pollution that you get from vehicles as well uh in those areas so there's real potential if done in the right kind of ways over time that these things can make a big difference to other forms of behavior that that also improve people's health and and well-being and Again, following that train of thought, I mean, quite often when we think about safety interventions, what's beneficial for the most of most vulnerable in society actually ends up being the best for the whole of society. But are there particular sort of segments of society that we think become the real beneficiaries of this? Are there any groups who benefit more because we've actually thought about influencing the environment in that way? Well, I I get to work with lots of older people in lots of my research and that's definitely an area um where this kind of intervention can really improve um it can easily you know really improve road road use in general it can improve their driving for example um you, you know they're not going to be hassled to go faster older people need to take things much more slowly just because of normal things that happen to us all as we age you know cognitive changes um eyesight changes hearing changes that happen to us as young as sort of 20, 25 years, and then gradually deteriorate over that time sounds depressing. But actually, it's a wonderful example of how the human body adapts to these changes, because you don't always notice them. The, you know, the road environment is probably a very forgiving environment, you can drive pretty badly and get away with it. And sometimes you can drive really well and get hit. And that's one of the reasons why it makes it very difficult to get feedback from that, let alone feedback from your own um, uh, changes in your own um, uh, physiology as as you age but slower speeds helps uh, older people drive more safely it will help older people be able to walk and cycle in those areas should they wish to do so they can cross the road more safely they can take their time to judge the speeds of cars coming the other way so that's that's an area where i can really see a huge difference an area where um normally you know they're they're really seen as additionally vulnerable particularly as as pedestrians um, I think it's something like 44% of pedestrian collisions involve somebody over the age of 65 that, that results in an injury. And, you know, that's just not good enough. They only make up 20% of the population and probably fewer percent of, of the amount walking in the area. So that's 
that's got to change. And and slower speeds is definitely a way forward to to doing that. So just as an example of an extra vulnerable group, you know, and that's going to be all of us, God willing, you know, that we'll all be old one day and we want that to be a better environment for us to, to be able to get out and about. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, that was slightly depressing thinking about <laughs> deterioration that quickly. Um, but then, you know, I'm of a certain age where I am starting to notice some of those things for sure. Um, in, in a moment, I'm going to face both of you up with some of the challenges that are being thrown around the 20 mile an hour debate. And it's impossible to ignore the fact that this policy in Wales has had some pretty dramatic repercussions. We had uh, a petition that called for the reversal of the policy, which received over 450,000 signatories to give you an indication of scale. That's about 16% of the Welsh population. Um, The British Prime Minister decided that he would travel to Wrexham to criticise the policy publicly. Um, There was a vote of no confidence against the Deputy Minister, Lee Waters, in the Senate, which he did manage to come through fairly comfortably. Uh, And it possibly tipped the balance in terms of getting the UK government to release their plan for drivers and to make a bit of a a dividing issue between the political parties on this point. So obviously the evidence becomes really key in that sort of confrontational situation. So, So Richard, if I could just come back to you, just days after implementation, you started to do some analysis on the effect on Welsh roads. Firstly, I mean, how can you turn it around that quickly? But also tell us a little bit about what the evidence shows. Ah, Dan, how long have we got on this one? I'll try and keep it short. Um, Look, uh, if you want to do this using traditional technologies, you know, you get tubes put across the road, you get traffic counters, you use radar, all those different kinds of things. You choose a sample of roads before and after. You know, it, it just takes some time and has some expense. But there's a great amount of data available from connected vehicles, so cars that have GPS sensors in them, that also fit with SIM cards, that are transmitting data back. And this is used, you know, if you look on your, your sat-nav, it tells you about where the delay is on the road network. Um, so that's the really positive use of it. But what's also available for people who want to research what's happening on the road for local authorities, you can then get that data back from the people that are collecting it. So what we did is we worked with one of the big suppliers on that, TomTom, had a look at 500 kilometres worth of roads, looked at the speeds that were coming back from vehicles, about 20% of the vehicles on the road made up this sample, um, and then looked at the, yeah, the week before and then looked at the week after. Um, so just looked at the, the weekday period and, yeah, didn't really know what we were going to see within this data. Um, so I mean, my jaw almost hit the floor when I got, you know, good old Microsoft Excel to do the calculation for me and showed a 2.9 mile an hour drop in speeds just by changing those signs, showing, I think, that just putting signs in has an impact and showing that actually drivers largely stick to the limit. Um, uh, now, uh, some so people you, might... Let me, just, let me just ask you this. So you say your jaw hit the floor. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you weren't therefore expecting that level of change, that level of compliance. What were you expecting based on what you've seen elsewhere? Well, if you, if you look at previous studies, some of the biggest study um, that we've seen previously, which was released by DFT about five years ago, 0.7, 0.9 miles an hour, depending on the type of road. If we'd seen that within Wales, I'd gone, okay, yeah, that, that's that's fair enough. So three, you know, nearly three miles an hour seems really high. It might not seem really high 
to the layperson because the, a lot of people think they're traveling around at 30 miles an hour and they're now only going to be traveling at 20 miles an hour. But that's not the reality. The reality is that actually people were only traveling around at something like 23 miles per hour on, on an average journey. Now they're doing just a little bit below 20 is exactly what we want to see but that is only the average driver of course and there's a lot more evidence on those people that aren't sticking to the limit too but uh, but overall you know i think i think it was really good result to see and and charles i mean you said that actually your experience living in it is hasn't done away with all of the speeding um there's still issues associated with that but uh, it sounds like the evidence that Rich is pointing to stacks up with that lived experience. Have you been surprised by how things have gone, whether for better or for worse? I mean, what's what's it been like to sort of see that in reality? Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think I think it has been pleasantly surprising the amount of people that have tried to reduce their speeds, and and it's like I think it's like Rich said. Um, you know, lots of people have. I mean, there are people doing 20 or below in 20 zones, but you, you also get people now doing sort of 25 or 26, but perhaps before they were doing 33, 34. And that, you know, might not be quite adhering to 20, but that difference makes it a huge, huge positive impact on, on, on you know, collisions or potentially on collisions and also on just how it feels in those areas. So, and, and it only takes a few drivers to need to do that, particularly in busy areas, because then everyone has to go slower behind. And I, and I really don't think, you know, I, I do a fair bit of driving, more than I want to have to do. Um, for example, I still live in Swansea and, and drive to Aberystwyth for work, but I really haven't noticed any additional time on my journey at all. The only things that make you make that journey slower of being stuck behind great big lorries or tractors. And that's been the same every single time. If, if I'm doing 20 where I used to do 30, I only end up at the same junction behind a car that might have overtaken me or might be doing 40 in front of me. You just have to wait at that junction. Anyway, it makes very, very little time. I suppose, you know, if you were driving more in an urban area, completely around 20, you might get a couple of minutes added on to a journey of, of 40 or 50 minutes, but you're not going to notice that it's a small, small, um, uh, a thing to to have negatively when when everything else can be so positive. Um, I guess one of the questions that sort of uh, dawns on me then, which is, we've seen a bigger impact from this twenty mile an hour implementation than we've perhaps seen in other places. Is that because it's actually happened at a country level? So it's happened right across Wales at the same time you don't move from one community to the next and the drivers in a kind of is it 20 is it 30 why is this road different from the one that i just came down so you get that kind of consistency or is it because actually there's been this whole build up to it whole load of public education what are some of the reasons why it, it might have been more effective in wales than perhaps we've seen in some other smaller implementations any ideas I think that's a great question. <laughs> um, uh, well, the thing with transport is as a whole, and, and that's why it's so difficult, but fascinating doing research in transport areas, as as you know, a lot of people will know. Um, it's just so context specific. So when you put an implementation in one area, it doesn't always translate exactly the same or in the way you expect in another area because there's so many other factors at play. You know, these are real life examples of loads of other things going on that influence the way people behave. So it's really difficult to know why, but certainly having, uh, you know, it just makes it a lot easier 
to have the idea that the default becomes 20. That's your starting place. That's where it begins. And then everything else is is done differently from from there on in. And I think that that makes a difference to uh you know putting it in 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 areas here and there where you think it might be important less important i mean there's a lot of support for putting it in in busy residential areas or areas in front of schools um and uh, and that kind of thing but um the difficulty with that is you don't always notice that there's going to be a school coming up so you see the speed limit change to 20 and you don't know why whereas this way around you're automatically beginning to think 20 and then having to adapt your speed after that and i think that might make a difference you know in psychology that's that's certainly something that we 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 examine you know that very base level of what expectations are makes a makes a difference if i could just follow up on that point there as well um it's one that's been asked of me um and i know that other authorities are looking at doing on a piecemeal basis i think there's a bit of synergy actually with some of the results that were seen from france when they dropped their national speed limit from 90 down to 80 they saw the same result they saw the immediate drop and compliance across the whole of the network because everybody knew that's what the speed was going to be um the problem that they've had in france is that They've also had the political um, uh, kickback on it as well. So I think it does take a, let's say, a brave politician, um, but, you know, somebody who has a clear vision as well to to make this um, step change. And while I don't have the evidence to say that if you do it on a countrywide basis, it makes a bigger, bigger difference. um, I think the results, I mean, they do speak for themselves a little bit, don't they? I I agree with that entirely. I mean, that's exactly exactly what we would we, we, we think is going on here. So there's a shared responsibility that it's 20 as well. And that makes a big difference as well as that changing the social norms and expectations. Um, and actually some of the anti 20 mile an hour has been so politically minded that it's actually had a rebound effect on some of those who are anti those who who have joined in the, the anti 20 mile an hour zone. So people are more likely to stick to the speed limit because they don't like the politics of those who don't. Um, and that's that's a fascinating, you know, insight into other, when people choose their speeds on the road, there's a million things going on in their brain, even though you're not aware of any of those things happening. So that's that's what that's what's fascinating. And some of my research has tried to unpick some of that of what, you know, get people to articulate what's going on, what their attitudes are. And Rich, you're exactly right. I mean it takes politicians to stand by their word here. And they've got to do that here because we know that there's backlash everywhere where they've introduced these 20 mile an hour um, or reduced speed limits on the whole. Um, but over time, that backlash becomes less vociferous. And actually, um, you see an increase in or, or a change in mind in lots of those people who've been who've been anti it as they realise it's not made a huge difference to their to their daily lives. Um, and possibly in, in many of them that it's actually a positive difference but you've just got to stick with it and again that's fascinating from a psychologist point of view you know that that i am because that goes against lots of psychology theory where you talk about having to change attitudes first get everybody's attitudes in line and then their behavior follows this is an example where you change behavior through legislation through sort of norms and a little bit of communication and people's attitudes catch up afterwards and I, I think quite often where we've got some of these sort of big social issues, I mean, recycling is is the same sort of thing. It's like once councils implement recycling measures, so, you know, you've got your bin for your food waste and you've got your bin for, for your general recycling and that sort of stuff. I mean, I, I remember uh, my own, own father being quite antagonistic towards it to start with. 
after a few years, I mean, like he made sure that everyone in the street had put the right bins out at the right time. You know, you you do start to conform to the behaviour that's been established within wider society. Um, I also think that's a fascinating idea, Charles, that um, that those who've been antagonistic towards it might have managed to reinforce positive behaviours in others, which might mean that, you know, the government who's been antagonistic towards 20 will somewhere down the line take credit for improving the safety and sustainability <laughs> of communities. Absolutely. <laughs> for, uh, because they managed to trick us into doing what we didn't want to do. Um, so come on, there, there are obviously some criticisms around this um, that the policy is facing. And I want to hear from you guys whether there's any validity uh, to any of them. I mean, so Rich, one of the things that's constantly come out is this thing about increases in journey times. You know, there's no way I can make the journey. It's so much slower. Um, is that just an unavoidable consequence or what's the data pointing to? Well, it is true. You know, if people are driving more slowly, their journey time is going to increase um, but as Charles was saying you know from his own lived experience um, it's it's not across the whole of the network and yeah he said that if people are in urban areas predominantly driving in those they might see the difference but what you've got to remember in that in Wales what they've done is it's not a blanket 20 it's a default 20 and on the roads where you want vehicles traveling at high speeds and where it's safe for them to do so they've made those 30 hey some of them are even higher than that um so on the roads where we value speed they've been kept higher so people hope you know hopefully shouldn't see too much of a difference there and it's only on the other roads that have changed to 20 that people will see the impact but you know we did some analysis on some routes um, just a, a small sample size and we saw that there was a, a route in Wrexham and a route in Cardiff that we looked at and yeah um, quite a lot of that route people were already doing 20 below 20 um, and they didn't change but it was on the roads where they were doing 30 maybe they saw the bigger drops there so I think when you look at a typical journey that people might be doing, going to the shops, going to work, going to a school, you know, traveling a few miles, et cetera. Yeah, it's it's a minute on your journey. But but does that minute matter to you? Does it really make a, a difference? Do you suddenly jump out of the car at the supermarket and then sprint round with your trolley, filling things up to make up that extra minute? Of course you don't, because it probably means that that minute doesn't really matter to you. Um, and if it is these very small differences, does that actually matter to society either? If you're doing a leisure journey, and the, most of the journeys that we're doing are for leisure and shopping and things like that, it's not for business, um, then then do those tiny small delays add up? I think if you're looking at performance of a strategic road network where you're moving goods and services around, people using that for work, then I think that journey time calculation is more critical. Otherwise, it's just an inconvenience. But that doesn't mean that people don't get annoyed by being inconvenienced. So I think it's how you feel personally about it rather than necessarily a big dent to the economy or anything like that. Um, so one of those personal feelings is, you know, you're standing at the bus stop and you're waiting for your bus. And it's I've heard complaints from people that, you know, the bus companies can't stick to schedule anymore. Um, at, Charles, you're really interested in integrated transport and how people move around. You know, is, is that an issue is it, or is that just teething? I, I, problem I, I can't address? imagine how that can be an issue. And again, I'm not I haven't got the necessary data here, but my kids school bus, for example, and, you know, perhaps we shouldn't be anecdotal about these things, but I'm going to be, you know, has, has, <laughs> has picking him up 10 minutes earlier to do a three mile journey 
that I think the roads have changed to 20 on about a, a mile at the most of that. So I, they're, they're just using it as an excuse to reset the timetables, which is fine. You know, if they want to be a bit more on time and, a, and um, a bit more reliable, that's absolutely fine. But I can't imagine it adds 10 minutes to, to, to that journey. I mean, how fast were these bus drivers driving? I mean, I've never been on a bus that goes much above 20 in an urban area anyway. I, I wouldn't want to. It'd be horrendously dangerous. So I think there's a, there's a, there's a lot of noise about these kind of things going on um, uh, personally. Uh, yeah, and I can't imagine it being, being as big an issue as, as being made out. Um, so, Rich, one of the other challenges that I've been hearing quite a lot is, oh, well, my car really struggles to drive at 20. Um, real issue or what do you respond to that? Well, it must be able to drive at 20 because you went past 20 to get to 30. <laughs> so it does do it. I think some of it may be down to gearing and it could be that in you're going to be in third gear at 20 anyway so arguably arguably you're going to be at lower revs i suppose there might be some more difficulty at hills but it's it's not really that bad and any competent driver and we're all competent drivers of course um can can drive at the appropriate revs um to the conditions on the road and actually yeah a lot of people out there have got hybrids They've got electric vehicles. If you're using the, an electric motor, electric motor doesn't care. hasn't really got gears, has it? Um, it can travel at any speed that you like. Um, uh, I think one of the interesting things actually around this is making sure that um, people are aware of what the speed limit is on some of these roads. So making sure that your your fancy modern car's got the sat nav updated um, is an important thing. But uh, you know that'll all be fixed within um, days or even weeks. So I, I can't really see why it's impossible to drive at twenty. It may just take a bit of getting used to yeah there's a there's just building on that sorry dan there's a little bit of um conflicting evidence about increases in in sort of emissions from vehicles doing 20 miles an hour but when you look at the detail of that that's people with harsh acceleration and braking that's happening so they'll they're going faster up to 20 and then braking or they've gone up to 13 or 13 it goes to a 20 and they've they've they broke you know smoother driving at any speed will reduce your emissions so it's about the smoothness of the driving and if you can smooth the flow as lots of research again suggests you can when you reduce speeds you know it's less stop start that should reduce emissions at best it's not going to increase them um so i think that that's probably a misnomer or, or any increases are going to be pretty negligible and they're down to other issues anyway like stopping at traffic lights and starting again and things like that um all cars are made to go at 20 i think a lot of the time this is saying a lot more about the driver and their ability than it is the, the vehicle itself oh well you mustn't challenge people's driving ability must you <laughs> no. um so uh, well that 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 also ticks off my next question my next challenge which is going to be about deterioration in air quality so job done there um rich I, I guess one of the other big questions is about the police and enforcement what are they doing about it uh, what can we expect to see in terms of the enforcement regime well interesting you said that i think uh, news coming out recently saying that you know we're approaching the end of this grace period um I mean, you know you mentioned that i managed a safety camera partnership at the beginning of this uh, podcast and and yeah i did and whenever we changed the speed limit we gave people some time to get used to it three months six months something like that and that was on an individual stretch of road of course i think 
people have got used to it. You know, the evidence is showing that it's there. Enforcement is going to kick in. The technology can handle it. Um, there's certainly questions about what kind of thresholds or education messages might be sent out first. I know that um, National Highways, when they introduced the Red X scheme, which was a, a new thing for people, sent out warning letters. And that seems like a sensible thing to do. Of course, most people that do end up getting caught when the enforcement really does um, start up. We'll end up going on a speed awareness course. They're very popular. Um, one of the most popular road safety interventions we've ever developed in this country. People really in, enjoy the time on them, even if it is a little bit inconvenient for them. Um, so yeah, I would encourage that you know when it when it does start off, it is it is proportional. It's phased in. We've got appropriate thresholds. Um, you know, you, you don't want to be, you know detecting people just over the limit you want to make sure that it, it's it's more than just a lapse um, but yeah making sure that it's backed up with warning messages education i think that's definitely the way of um, keeping everybody on side with the enforcement that, that will need to take place to tackle those people and it will be a small number of people that are refusing to um, stick to the limit well look we're very nearly at the end of our time so i, I guess I just wanted to ask a couple of final questions about sort of what happens next Charles, you've lived through the initial Ferrari. You mentioned that things feel like they started to calm down a little bit already and some of the heat starting to go out of it. But I mean, just thinking about roads in Wales, you know, protection of future generations, your aspirations for public health, where do you hope we'll end up with this? And and, and indeed, you know, what next uh, could we and should we expect uh, to see for a healthier and more sustainable Wales? Yeah, a, a, a really good question. I think um, you're right. We're, we're, you know, things are settling down a little bit now. So people are um, perhaps a bit more or a bit less negative than they were when it was first introduced. I think, you know, what Rich said a minute ago, it, it'll be welcome to have some some increased enforcement because I think there is some lapses in people's speeds now as people have got used to it. And maybe, maybe you will see the data in, or certainly in some people where speeds creep back up towards 30. So it just needs to be, pushed back down again and if we, we if we can maintain that and I, and I totally agree with you know a proportional response and education is is hugely beneficial or you um, rich is right people going on those speed awareness courses i hear it all the time um from friends and and um people i i work with people i interview you know that they've really loved it and, and it's it's given them a real insight into why speeding in particular uh, is dangerous and all road you know uh, behavior road user behavior can be dangerous so we need more of that it shouldn't just be capturing the people who who are are, are speeding for that to happen really um you know and all the psychology evidence points towards that but moving forwards i think we'll start to see these speed limits uh, reductions in in many countries uh, i wouldn't be surprised to see it in the uk as a whole over the next five to ten years depending which governments get in in the in that time um, and it will just become quite normal and we'll be aghast that we used to drive 30 40 miles an hour through people's residential areas in 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 sort of 20 30 years time we'll we'll be amazed that we we used to be able to do that i think and that that'll be a lovely way to be but we can't forget that that this is only one part of the whole road or, or the whole travel environment and its relationship to health and we've got to carry on improving public transport there's huge issues around public transport at the moment not being particularly fit for purpose in certain areas and i know there's there's measures in place to try and change that but that's got to be part of the the offering moving forwards um 
uh, as well as encouraging much more active travel again and, and allowing people to to walk and cycle safely in their, their local areas. And um, speed is a big influence on all of those things, but we also need to think think wider than that. Uh, and Rich, just coming to you finally, I mean, Charles has intimated there that we'll, this will continue to roll out over other parts of the UK. I mean, what, what's the evidence that we're going to need as we go forward in order to keep momentum up on this? Uh, what do we need to know about the application of 20 uh, and, you know, how we evaluate its implications? Yeah, I think... Public support for it um, is important. Um, how people feel about their communities now that they're 20, because everybody does want slower speeds where they live. Nobody really wants to drive really fast outside their own house. Um, uh, the the evidence on how effective it was um, in terms of the reductions in speeds to show that actually a relatively low cost, because this is relatively low cost as an intervention, um, of putting signs up works. Casualty data is going to be important. You know, we we know that that is the strongest evidence that we can have. So, but that is going to take a number of years before that's made available. Although you could argue that because it's happened at such a wide scale, perhaps we don't need to have three years worth of um, post implementation data. We can start tracking it almost on a on a month by month basis across the whole of Wales. So, knowing what impact it's had on people's lives um, and about how they move around the, the roads and, and and their feelings towards their urban areas now I think is going to be really critical to see it rolling out across the UK. Scotland appears to be coming up soon um, but actually there's a lot of interest internationally about this. Speaking to researchers and academics um, across Europe and in other parts of the world, they're looking at Wales and they're looking to see what the impact is because you know it is a big, brave, bold step but it's one that um, I think has drawn a lot of admiration from uh, the road safety community across the globe. Fantastic. Well, look, that brings us to a close of this episode of Think Agility. So I really want to express my appreciation to Charles and Richard for their time with us today. And we'll make sure that we provide links to any references as well uh, in the show notes. Hopefully, you found today's conversation as interesting and stimulating as I have, but there's more content available for you from our first series. And indeed, we've got more episodes in the pipeline. So please do make sure that you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd really appreciate it if you could also leave us a review. So until we're back, stay safe out there and see you soon.